0: This episode of a Quick Timeout Podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Florida, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish. And now save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout Podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com.
1: Today's guest has already in his young head coaching career, won an NCAA D2 conference title and made an appearance in the national tournament. He just finished year one at Converse University in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Coach Nick Pasqua. Coach, great to have you on the show.
2: Yeah, thanks. Uh, Thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited to share a variety of things today, so looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I've had the privilege of coaching once or twice against coach and he does a great job and his his, uh, players do a great job as well. A number of topics I could have chosen to talk with him about but I settled on something that I think we've discussed I don't think actually we've discussed this on the podcast and it is a zone defense but briefly here before we get into that coach you have a unique path there to converse and I know a lot of younger coaches listen to this show I think they especially would benefit from hearing a little bit about your coaching journey
2: yeah of course I'm, it's one thing I'm always willing to share about I think a lot of times when you've had an interesting journey. So, some people shy away from sharing it, but I'm, I'm kind of on the opposite end of it. I think um, it would be some things I would like to hear coming up. Uh, so I was an assistant for for nine years at the school that I played at at King University, which is in our same league. So I've kind of been in Conference Carolinas for quite a while now, but uh, worked there for nine years. Uh, great experience. Guy I played for was a legendary coach, worked for him and then got My first crack at it at 30, I got a D2 head coaching job at Tusculum, which was an hour from King, an hour from where I grew up, Uh, planned on being there for a long time. When I took over there, they'd had seven or eight straight losing seasons. It was another kind of rebuilding thing, uh, which most of the time, if you're going to get a a job as a young coach, you're you're usually coming into something that hasn't been very good, uh, but thought there was a ton of potential. Unfortunately, at the time, Lincoln Memorial was number one in the country. Queens was number two in the country. Carson Newman was in the top 25. LR was right there. And uh, we won six games my first year. We lost eight games in the league by six points or less. Um, A lot of that was me uh, first year trying to figure it out, making plenty of mistakes every single night, looking back at it now. Uh, But I thought we had moved the program in in a good direction, a competitive direction. Uh, until our president that hired me was no longer there uh, midway through the year. And so the day after our last game, um, I was no longer the coach at Tuscaloam, nine months into it. And when you're 30 years old, you won six games um, your first year, you don't have a ton of other opportunities lined just waiting for you to come take their job. So I went a couple months without a position, um, applied everywhere, anything – Director of basketball, assistant coach, head coach, just all across pretty much the southeast. Anywhere I could that popped up on a hoop, Dirt. hoop dirt was my life at the time, trying to find a job. And eventually, the only job I had uh, opportunity to get was at Southern Westland. And historically, had not been a very good since they transitioned from NAIA to D2. Had had really struggled and. They were in the league, so I knew a little bit about them. Small, tiny gym, campus really small, uh, scholarships not not very good, um, but it was an opportunity, and I'm thankful that I had a wife who was willing to take an opportunity and go do something and try something for a lot less money. Um, but if I was going to try it, I, I couldn't go out after winning six games, and I was thankful for the opportunity, and then when I got there, I realized kind of what I walked into. They had won 15 total games in a five-year span. Um, so literally it was the losingest, that's a word, Division two program um, in the country. And so in our first year, we won two games. And we were 2-26. and 26. I actually think the last game we won was at Bob Jones oh. before Christmas, and we didn't win another game the rest of the year. And – I won eight games, uh, or my teams won eight games my first two years as a head coach. And my first year, I wasn't the coach I wanted to be. I was so focused on winning, and it dictated everything in my life, my family, everything. My first year at SWU, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I knew we didn't have much of a chance uh, in our league. We didn't have a player over 6'4 on the roster. We finished the year with seven players. I mean, it was so it gave me a chance to try a lot of different things out and it got me out of my comfort zone as a coach. It got me totally thinking in a whole new direction. I grew up playing and coaching at King in a very tempo, pressing, trapping, averaging 95 points a night, leading the country in three style. And then I get this woo and it, it's not going to work. I mean, we, we got no chance to play like that. So it challenged me. and. Uh, thankful for that opportunity because without that, I don't know if I make some of the changes to how I coach, the style of coaching I, the, the type of coach I am, what I value the most in recruiting and player development, all those things. Um, and we had an incredible, like a, an incredible turnaround. We went from two wins uh, at SWU my first year to 20 wins in year two. We won the league championship, made the NCAA tournament. So we were two and 26 my first year, and then I think we were 49. And 23, something like that, in the next two and a half years, with the COVID year being a half a year. And we, we beat a division one, we beat a top five division two program. Um, And so it taught me like gyms don't matter the size of the gym, the amount of gear you can give kids. Like if you put the work in, you believe in them, they believe in what you're trying to get them to do, you can win pretty much anywhere. And those four years at SWU changed. A a ton of stuff for me, and then this opportunity at Converse came along, and and so it was another like, you're I'm still taking over a place that had won six games the year before, and we were able to go from six wins to 15 this year and be be 500 and win a game in the tournament, and so there's something to taking over something that uh, you can put your your hands on and change, and I to me that that is one of the most rewarding parts of of just to see. Your guys change what they believe in, change how they work, change to see a campus change and, and come and support games, and it's just uh, a really cool feeling. But you know, the Final Four is going on this weekend as we as we record this, and knowing all the stuff and the, the the deals that go on at the Final Four, trying to get jobs, and it's, I, I if you can if you can take a job and become a head coach, the value in that, I think. Um, Whatever level it is, I mean, you learn more about yourself in that year than you will probably ever learn um, doing it any other way. So, I, and and don't get don't get so down on yourself when it doesn't go well early on. And we are in such an instant gratification world now, and ads want to win even at the Division two level right away. And and I experienced that, but if you if you have a belief in what you're trying to do, then it it'll eventually work itself out.
1: Yeah, a lot of great lessons there. That's probably worth the episode right there, but we'll, we'll keep going a little bit. Was one of those things, style of play, connected to what we're going to talk about today with the zone?
2: Yeah, we had to uh, – so it kind of started as it, that first year at SWOO a little bit. Uh, we used it some the year we won the league, um, but then we really went to it um, in the COVID year, um, we went to a 131 one, and and this was this was my thinking on doing it we didn't know who just like everybody we didn't know who we were going to have on the floor half the time we didn't know who we were going to be playing against half the time and the scouting was so unpredictable cuz personnel was con- constantly changing with covid guys in and out who could play who couldn't and So the scouting piece of things was just so up in the air, which as a coach, I didn't really like that much. And there was nobody, there was nobody in the gyms. Right. And so we could play a one, three, one and change within the one, three, one and guys could hear me because there was nobody in the gym. So it worked out perfectly during COVID. Um, I'm going to explain a bunch of different ways you can do it now that people are back in the gym and, and some different things to give you an advantage. But there was, there was a couple ideas behind it, scouting, being able to communicate with the guys easier. And then at King, we pressed the whole time and, and I loved it, but just had never had the depth to do it at SWOO. The 1-3-1 one, one allowed us to change the pace of the game and to stall the offense as much as you could if you pressed, but it wasn't a giving up stuff on the back end as much. And, and teams would spend as much time standing at the half line, dribbling the ball, trying to figure out what type of defense we were playing while we're just standing there most of the time as extending yourself 94 feet and giving up layups on the back end at times, So it almost had the same way. I felt like we were pressing without pressing.
0: The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love huddle assist. With assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats, lineup data, VPS, and, of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Combined with the HD quality, automatically captured film from the Huddle Focus Smart Camera, every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to find out more.
1: I've found that coaches, you gave a little bit of the why behind it, but for coaches who have thought through a system of play, they usually end up with like some core principles or some, at least some objectives that they are able to use as kind of building blocks for the players to understand this is what we're really trying to do in our zone. What were those for you?
2: Yeah, most of the time we have been pretty pretty standard pack line, man-to-man defense. And how can we take those same principles, how we close out. Now, how we play our man, we don't force middle like the traditional pack. I mean, we're more keep it on a side than let it get to the middle. But still, we're not up the line. We're more packing the help and same rotations. But how can we incorporate how we close out and not change it, where our help is and not change it, if we go from man to 2-3 to a 1-3-1, how can all of our defensive fundamentals carry over? As we started looking at the 1-3-1, we played a 2-3 zone uh, where we went man-to-man on certain passes. And and it had been successful, but teams were starting to figure it out maybe a little bit, and so we were still looking for that next changeup that could help us. Uh, So we went man-to-man if the ball went to the high post. We went man-to-man if the ball went to the low block. Any penetrating pass. So if it penetrates our zone, we are matching up and going man to man. And so it was good, but still, like teams could run their zone offense against it. Most teams have one, maybe two plays against one, the one-three-one. Uh, teams may have eight to nine plays against the two-three. Teams are going to have thirty-five to forty man sets at our level. And so you cut down dramatically on the amount of. Sets that you got to prep for, that you got to go through. It it takes it takes the coach of the other team sometimes out of the game if the other coach can really dice you up and call stuff like an offense coordinator, and they're they're giving you this look and then this look, and they got to counter for this and counter for that. Like that, that's hard to prep for. And so the one three one allowed us to show something, and then it gave us the flexibility to stay one three one, to change to a two three, or to change to man to man. And so there would be some possessions where we would play all three of them in a possession. And so how do you – how do they run their stuff against that? I mean, there there is no offense. You can look up all the clinics you want. How do you go – how do you attack a 1-3-1 one, one to a 2-3? Like, how do you – what what offense are you going to run? And and so it took the other coach out of the game, and it – all right, one or two best players are going to really have to go make plays and make some contested shots against us.
1: Talk to me about the, the responsibilities – and the player positions within the 1-3-1? One one.
2: So we did a little different. Most teams put their point guard or smallest guy on the baseline in a traditional like one three one. We put our four, uh, which for us, our four is pretty much our biggest guard. So somebody six five, six six in that range, uh, that's fairly mobile, athletic, can cover each corner, but gives us some size down there blocking out weak side of rebound responsibilities those type of things so we liked having our four there then we put our five in the middle of the one three one that's pretty standard traditional um and then on each wing uh we would have our one or our three and we did that so if we wanted to change defenses uh which I'll go through in a minute it allowed us one side of the floor. We would go, man, one side of the floor, we would go zone depending on what corner it was in because of where our point guard was. So we always went to certain spots on, on certain sides of the floor. Like the one had to go to this side. He couldn't go to the other side because then we would get mixed up how we were rotating. And then we would put our uh, two man who was six, two, six, three, you know, at the top of them, somebody that, that was fairly athletic, fairly long arm could stunt some. And, um, make some plays up there for us and make them throw lobs and bounce passes.
1: How about the actual positioning of the players? Where are they standing on the floor? Is there anything unique to that?
2: You know, if you look at um, Ole Miss comes to mind, UAB does it. They play a really, really aggressive 1-3-1 zone where those wings are really charging the ball handler as soon as he comes across the half line, almost trapping it there at the half line, really extending it. And we – we didn't go that route. Um, we wanted to be more more compact with it. So we would our pickup point for the point of the one three one was right at the half line, and and his job was to try to get the ball on one side of the floor. Don't let it stand there in the middle. Get it to a side, and then our wings were playing NBA three. We said we were always playing out and up, so out to the sideline and then up to the ball, funneling it more towards where that five man was in the middle. The five-man is feet on the three-point line, uh, the college three-point line for us. So if you're playing in high school, just use that. You know, we didn't want him to walk into threes. And so we were out and up, NBA three on the side, half line, getting it to a side at the top, middle, feet on the three-point line. The bottom guy is always about two steps off the block on the lane line, getting ready to get the ball side corner. And I think one mistake a lot of people make when they play a 131 one is they drop the opposite wing too far to the basket. And you just give like one pass across the floor and it's a it's a walk in three right there cuz most teams attack a 131 one with a two guard front. So we were about a step below the elbow probably and we really worked a lot on reading shoulders and eyes so my butt, instead of being butt to the baseline there, would be more angled to where I could see the ball handler kind of diagonal from me in the slot. I could see somebody if they start to, to baseline cut me for a lob on the baseline, and I can get to this guy right here in the opposite slot, which is my side to contest the three.
1: How about the bottom guy in relationship to the ball?
2: Yeah, so he's ball side about two steps outside the lane line. Uh, so probably right out uh, above the block, too. We don't want to get below the block on the lane line because um, then you can get screened down there. We're always trying to play where we can cover that corner, no baseline pin-ins. We can sit on top of any any type of screen and, and still cover the corner.
1: And the middle guy, I'm assuming, stays relationship kind of to the ball in the middle but yeah. then
0: drops.
2: Yeah, so feet on three-point line, always between – you hear the ball in the basket, but that's pretty pretty standard. So we don't want – We want him to not really be in a defensive stance either. Like we're trying to put our biggest guy right there. So almost where he's, I guess you'd say, almost look like he's doing jumping jacks, arms up, moving around uh, to where it's harder for that. So if the ball handler sees the point guy kind of stunting at him back and forth and that the the point guy should said this plays between the lane lines. Like he never, he never crosses that. Like he's got that middle channel. That's where he plays in. And so he's stunting and back, stunting back, out and up on the wing. And then our middle guy is just being active with long arms right there, trying to not let the ball handler see those back cuts to the rim for lobs.
1: And then the guy up there at the top, just a to follow up to that, the stunt I know is a big part of what mm-hmm. you work on that maybe yeah. you'll talk about a little bit more when we get to the drills yeah. a little bit. But can yeah, you talk we, about that uh, first?
2: Yeah, we, uh, we teach them, and, and this is something I heard on uh, – I think Jay Wright talked about it, how they played their one, two, two, three-quarter court zone. He goes, you, you you come in little and you back up big. So you're going to come in little, like hands down, stunt like I'm about to come get it, and then you're going to back up about to the midline with, with high active hands. And if you can do that, then that pretty much ensures it's got to be a lob pass over the top. If you come in, like the worst thing, and, and guys will want to do it all the time up there, is the jump. You get up there and you start jumping around, a good guard is going to lift you up with an eye fake. You're going to get out of a stance. You're going to jump. He's going to snake it to the middle, and the one three one is is pretty toast at that point. So, not jumping, not leaving your feet like in little, back up big. The other thing they want to do is they're going to chase the ball. They're going to chase it back and forth. And if you do that, they're going to pass it around you, and you're going to wear yourself out up there. So, you know, you're you've got that middle channel. You've got those lane lines. That that lane line is pretty much a stop sign for you you'll back up pretty much to the, we call it the tape, the midline, the middle of the floor right there, and then you can stun again, but you're just playing that kind of cat-mouse game right there.
1: I want to ask about rotations, and first ask about just the obvious one. Ball goes down to the corner. Mm-hmm. Are you doing what's like standard, and is there anything that's not standard, special so, that you do?
2: Yeah, so if we stay in the one and we're not changing defenses, which we had one call for that where we would stay one one the whole possession. So if it goes over our head to the, to the corner, some people trap it. We, I don't, I didn't trap it. We just let the four man close out and cover it. And then we were pretty much in our man to man, basic fundamental positioning at that point. So we didn't want to give up the baseline, but we weren't forcing the middle pretty square close out in the corner. That wing is now dropping into his gap where he can stunt on any type of middle penetration. The five man is now dropping to the block, protecting any type of post-up, flashes, baseline drive. He's there to stop it. We pretty much turned it into a trap on the baseline. Our opposite wing is now foot on the midline, basic help position, man-to-man. Our top guy is now dropping to the nail, basic help position there. So we look just man-to-man principles at that point. And then as the ball comes back out, our zone lifts wherever the ball goes, and we kind of move into our back to our one three-one spots. But we close out, we really try to chop our feet, contest the shot, not get beat off. We talk a lot about winning the first dribble. Show your hands, move your feet, stop it with your chest. Don't foul. Don't give up the baseline. You got help right there to stunt. Um, if they do start to get to the middle on you, um, and that would that would be a the only difference how we cover the corners, if the ball had been skipped from one side of the floor to the opposite corner, um, then our, our low man can't cover that. Um, that wing has to take it. He goes on the top shoulder, forces it baseline, and now that bottom defender of the one-three-one is recovering to the ball, and we pretty much force a baseline drive, trap it, the five drops to the basket. So over our head, ball side, the bottom guy takes it, skipped across to the corner. That opposite wing will close out on the top side, force it baseline, and the bottom guy will rotate over and almost trap it on a baseline drive.
1: So I would assume, because what you just described for me, the ball goes in the corner, it looked very much like a 2-3 zone. It can. though you're still in man. And then what's the trigger there to go ahead and make it a 2-3 zone?
2: Okay, so what we did, and – I'm big offensively, defensively is how can we have some continuous flow, some rules, but we don't rule ourselves to death, but we've got two or three rules that everybody knows and we can play out of it. And I'm not screaming a thousand different calls to try to get us in stuff. So whenever, if if the ball was on a wing and let's say we had our three man as the ball side wing and the ball went over his head to the corner All right. We were in man to man because that meant our point guard, which was the opposite wing, has now dropped to the basket pretty much. And we did not want him to be the back line of our two, three. And so anytime he was dropped to the to the block, to that uh, help position with his foot on the tape, we were man to man. And so if it went over the three man's head, he went to the same side every time our point guard went to the same side every time. If it went over his head, then we were screaming. The players were fist, fist, fists. We're in man now, and so you would match up with whoever was in your area. You're going to a spot. You're finding a matchup. Not con- not concerned really with a lot of size at that point, and then we can fix it throughout the possession if we need to get back like size. But most of the time, uh, I would say 90% of the time, where they went, there was another guard for the point guard. The five was dropping to cover the block, which a five man's at. Um, our four who we said was pretty much a, a bigger guard could cover a baseline runner who most of the time is a shooter that's not going to put on the floor right away they're running a guy on the baseline against us so it, it worked out personnel wise 90 percent of the time on that
1: do defense or do offenses do offenses attempt to screen anywhere in the zone and does that change anything yeah. about what you just described
2: So they do. I would say ball screen wise, they will come, try to set a step up or flat screen on the top of the zone. What we try to do is we say, we we almost ignore the screen. I guess it would almost be like icing it. Like, okay, you want to come screen me there. R5 is already there as if he's kind of dropped in an ice type coverage below the screen. And we're trying to funnel it to him anyways. So we just kind of ignored it, and if they try to side screen us and go across the floor, then we just went underneath it and we just stayed in our one three, one That would be the biggest ball screen that we saw. Baseline screens, a lot of teams will go two guard front, three guys on the baseline, try to screen for a baseline runner. We always were trying to sit on top of it, never get caught below it uh with our bottom guy trying to help cover the corners always above the block like if you can be above the block it's going to be really hard to pin you in and get those things in the corner if you get down there below the block and you turn your head you're going to get hit by a lot of screens so we were always trying to be above the block with that baseline guy trying to cover the corners
1: you just mentioned a couple you know drawbacks negatives warnings do you have any other that you guys have, have talked to some coaches rebounding we really need to work on rebounding out of this or do you have things like that that you're like we have to minimize this if we're going to be successful
2: well i think you got to have really active hands like we we can't allow direct line passes if they're going to direct line passes penetrate passes anything other than a lob or bounce pass i think you're fairly vulnerable in it so your guys have to be good at stunting they got to have active hands they got their positioning has to continuously change as the ball is moving we talk about moving on airtime in the one three one. If you are not moving as the ball is in the air, you're gonna be late a lot to whether that's contesting the shot on a skip or just being in your next spot where you need to be for help. So moving on airtime, you know, active hands where they can't make penetrating passes. I think you've got to communicate anytime there's a high post flash. There's a soft spot in the one three one. Um, so if the balls on the right side of the floor, the five man's between the ball and the basket our opposite wing has dropped enough to protect the, the lob around that opposite elbow. There's a kind of a soft spot in the zone you can creep into and allowing our, our fives have to know it. Our, our point guard who just dropped has to talk to him. Hey, you got one on your right side right here. You got one on your right side. So he's kind of got a hand right there in that passing lane, because if he gets it there. If it gets just like any zone, if it gets to the middle of the zone, it's you're you're in some trouble. And if it went to the middle of the zone, we, we would try to match up and go man to man. We try to take some of our same two, three principles and not not change them. All right, we're one three one. So if it goes to the high post in the one three one, we're staying. But if it goes in the two, three, we're changing. Like to me, that's too much thinking one zone does one thing, one does another. Any high post catch, one, three, one, two, three, if we play a one, two, two, like we're gonna go man to man and get matched up. Um, I think we have to keep that stuff universal. I think we have to keep how we close out universal. I think our gap help has to be universal. No matter man, zone, what kind of zone, it doesn't matter. Those things kind of have to always be um, a given on those on those rules. I would say being able to have somebody on the baseline that can cover the corner. And, I mean, that that's the hardest spot to play. So you need somebody down there with a little something to them that, you know, coach, I had to cover this corner and then I gotta get over there and cover that. That's what you gotta do. And sometimes you gotta navigate a screen and you were closed out here, they're moving it too quick. Our guys up top aren't doing a good enough job making lobs and bounce passes, and you're you're working pretty hard down there. Um, so that the weak side rebounding, I think, in any zone is always an issue. We put the bubbles in the hoops here, we block out every day somehow, and so it's it's ingrained that when a shot goes up, you turn and you find somebody on your side to go check and then go get the ball. And that's so if we teach it that way, man to man, we're going to teach it that same way in the zone. Everybody's got a matchup responsibility for a blockout, two, three, one, three, one, man to man. Like you go check your area, and find somebody to block
1: out. All right. So I'm assuming you do a lot of five on five, but. To get to that, where do you start and what do you do when you break it down into smaller groups?
2: So initially we're going to go through it just pretty much me breaking down every position. We're going to put five on five, I think, initially. So I'm a whole part, whole teacher. Like I got to teach the whole first, and then we can go break it down part by part, and then we can kind of put it back together. We do that defensively and offensively here. So we're going to teach them the rotations, uh, we'll put five guys out. All right. We going to say, all right. We're well, balls on the right side, or threes here. The ball goes over his head. Now we're we're morphing our one three one into man to man, and this is where everybody should be. Balls on the other side of the floor. It goes over his head. All right. So it went over a point guard's head. Now our three has dropped to the ball side opposite opposite block of where the ball is, and we're going to stay two three now. Um, and so based on the corners, so the right corner we are going man to man. The left corner, we were going two, three. And so we were changing defenses just based on where the ball went, which gave us a big advantage, too. Because, well, coach, they went one, three, one. Let's just throw it over his head. They're going to go man to man this time. We're going to back it out, run our man offense for 20 seconds.
1: Mm.
2: Well, if on the other side we go two, three, most of the time players aren't going to figure that out. In the heat of things, coaches probably aren't going to figure it out either. And then you have a call where you stay one, three, one the whole time. And so it's it's continually like we don't know when we throw it to the corner what we're gonna get on the other side of it. And so there would be possessions where we would go one three one, they'd go over a point guard's head, we would go to a two-three. Our rule in the two three was any penetrating pass, we go man to man. So we could play a one-three one for two passes, we could play a two-three for two passes. They hit the high post and we go man to man for the last ten seconds of the shot clock or whatever it might be. So that was, again, that was taken a lot out of the coach on the other side of the floor too. So we would we would explain all of that, like this corner's this, this corner's that, then this is where we're changing our defense. If the ball is passed here to the high post, this is our, our rules still apply. If they come in ball screen, like we're going to walk them through probably too many scenarios, honestly, first, and then we're going to start talking about your basic ways to play it how to stun at the top, how to be out and up on the wing, the five man, how big are you supposed to be baseline runner? I think if you start with that type of stuff first and they don't understand the whole part of it, I think it's hard for them then to translate it when you do want to put it together. Mm-hmm. So I'm always probably going to give them too much early on. Um, and so then when you go back and you start teaching the details of it, they're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Cause I understand the big picture of it. Um, I think there's too much drills early, not enough five, like we, we never do uh, it's a man to man here. We never do four man shell because the, the rotations are totally different than when you go five people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're completely different. So why are we going to do it that way? I think some, like, I love small side games, three on three direct, simple, like this is the exact thing we're working on and it translates to five on five. But if it doesn't translate to five on five, then we try to stay away
1: from it. Do you do any kind of like working with the top, two guys or the top three guys and break it down to maybe like box idea yeah, there
2: yeah for sure we'll we'll probably do our point a wing in the five because those three guys are always kind of moving if, if i'm stunting in then the wing may need to be backing up some and then as that point starts to back up some i need to come up a little bit so it's always like Playing off of each other, and the five is always kind of he may stunt some, he may come up and then back up a little bit too, but always kind of playing that same area. If that ball gets, I didn't talk about this, we call it a bad beat. Like if he gets beat bad off the bounce and he's and the guard's driving it, then we let the five man just sit down and take it and we kind of funnel everything out. The point's going to drop to the gap to prevent the nail drive. The wing's going to get to the gap to help prevent anything kind of getting through that slot, and the five's going to sit down and try to take it right there and push it back out because I don't want three guys on the ball. Like, that That will break you down in a hurry. So we're never three on the ball. That that drive, the five is taking it, and then we're trying to get gap help, and that opposite wing is going to be dropped even lower now protecting the basket than he probably was before. Um, if they pick the dribble up way out by the half line, we've done it a couple different ways we turn around and pretty much deny every pass out after that. So if they come across the half line and he's looking over his coach and they can't figure it, he takes, takes it and just picks it up, and he's a step past the half line, then we're going to have a call for it. You turn around, deny, and he hopefully he's going to have to stand there and hold it for, for a while. Our guys like it because it makes them look a little silly too, so they, <laughs> they enjoy doing that. And then if we if we did get into that scenario, we would be manned the rest of possession from there.
1: Did I see that you've you do sometimes like an outnumbered like six on five to mm-hmm. kind of up the ante yeah, we'll for the put, defense?
2: Yeah, we'll put even more than six out there. Like we'll we'll go both corners, one on the block, one at the nail, two guard front, and we may just throw a random person in there too. Either two I'm sure guys, it
1: speeds up the speeds up the deep forces the defense to speed up rotations even more
2: it does and it makes you really get better at having active hands too like they can make a penetrating pass pretty much whenever they want to if I'm not if I'm not stunting if I don't have active hands if I'm not moving on airtime, if I'm not reading shoulders like he could be looking here and snap one to the block on me but that's that's a pretty hard pass right and so that's where we're counting on active hands so they get better at reading shoulders that way like reading eyes reading shoulders. Very rarely are you going to throw no look passes against the one three one zone. So you can read those eyes pretty well and, and try to move on airtime and make some plays too. And it helps navigating guys down there on the baseline. There's extra guys down there that aren't going to be there. So if I can get through it when there's four guys down here, then I can get through it when there's three.
1: All right. So anytime that I have. A topic like this on the podcast especially when we dive into a system and where coaches feel like man it would be helpful to see something like this I get questions about where can I get more information how can I connect with you so yeah. where would you point them to go to see this and to maybe get a little bit more breakdown of, of the things that we talked about today
2: yeah so there's a, uh, a video on championship productions they came to swoo and and videoed us pretty much installing it. It was, I think, the third day of practice, maybe. And so we were, we had had some returns that had done it. We had some new guys that were out there. So I think it, it gives coaches a realistic view. Like you can see some guys that are picking it up quick. You can see some things that may take a little longer to get. You can see some of the breakdowns that we were having. Some of the points of emphasis that we were really on. Um, kind of in real time. So that's available there. Um, If you've got Synergy, if you go to the 2020-2021 season on Synergy, Southern Wesleyan, click on the defense. And then if you click on our zone defensive tab there, uh, it's pretty much all the one through one. Um, We used it some the following year, 21-22. We didn't use it any this year. Converse personnel, just new job. It was just One of those things we didn't really get to this year. I'm hoping we can some more next year. And then email. My email is nicholas.pasqua at at, uh, converse.edu. And that's on, um, if you go to Converse Basketball and then look on the website, you can find my email there too. So happy to to talk about it. Um, I think the DVD would be the best visual way to see a lot of this stuff too. I know listening to a podcast and somebody's trying to tell you how to rotate in a 131 one defense sometimes not always the easiest to understand but that video should give a pretty good uh, understanding on some of this stuff I was talking about
1: and I'll be sure to put that down in the show notes before below for the ones that are listening to this and um, I went and checked out again this morning and it has some sample videos and you can find a couple of sample videos yep. on YouTube and see those that maybe will give you an idea about what the rest of the video is about but um, be sure to go check that out there. Coach, ton of great stuff. You did a great job breaking it down for those that are just listening, but hopefully they'll go and check it out a little bit more. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate having you on.
2: Okay, great. I appreciate the time.